This is the War Room Roundtable podcast, the show that takes you around the world to share interviews with some of the most successful and relevant businessmen and women on the planet, hear their stories, and get the most important business lessons they've learned on the road to success, and get exclusive advice on how to implement their successes into your life and business. The War Room Roundtable is brought to you by your hosts, Jason Miller, CEO of Strategic Advisor Board, and Philip Llanos, CEO of Own the Rhythm, and former podcast host for Entrepreneur and Inc. Magazine. Welcome to the War Room, Sal. How are you doing, man? I'm great, man. I'm great. How are you guys? Man, we're living the dream, getting to have conversations with interesting people every day, man. It's crazy. Uh, Question for you, man, is the one we've asked everybody, right? It's the hazing ritual that we got on here. That is, (laughs) do you yourself come from a family of entrepreneurs, working professionals, creatives? No, not at all. Talk to me about this. Where, Where do you come from? Um, so both, both my parents are, are from Mexico, uh, biological parents. Um, my foster parents, uh, grew up in LA. Um, they're both deceased. Um, my foster dad, he was, he worked, he was an electrician, blue collar guy. Um, my foster mom was a stay at home mom. My biological mom was a stay at home mom as well. She did the PTA thing at school. Um, my biological father worked in factories, canneries, that kind of stuff. He, uh, left his home when he was 13 and was pretty much on his own. Um, he was came from an indigenous family um, in southern Mexico. Uh, my mom grew up in a family of you know housekeepers and that kind of stuff. Um, he grew up in South Central LA, and, um, and uh, you know just everything that goes with that. And um, I I uh, had two options. I could either move to Mexico and and live at the back of a boxing gym until I was old enough to to box, or I can join the Navy and box. Um, and so I chose the latter. Man, I started my journey. <laughs> yeah, no, I just hearing all that. You know, I'm I'm, I'm half uh, Mexican, and my dad comes from Oaxaca. Uh, that 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 side of uh, Mexico, and I know I know how that can be. And my mom herself was a runaway, so I I, I resonate a lot with what you're doing. I grew up in East LA for a large portion of my childhood, and you're right; it comes with a lot. Just just being yeah. a part of that, uh, so I can see how your choices were then laid out, and like from the jump, it was a fight. Yeah. It seems like you've been boxing from the minute you came <laughs> out, right? Yeah. And so there you are. You you said you joined the Navy, correct? Yeah. And uh, and you made this decision. And how long did you stay in the Navy for? Uh, 24 years. Um, wow. I was going to be thrown out and um, 9-11 happened. And, and you know, it was, uh, after 9-11, I, I stayed in. Um, I joined the Navy to box, made the Navy boxing team. But the Navy sent me to a couple of specialty schools. And they said, well, since we sent you to some specialty schools, you're going to go and do that. You know, and uh, boxing was a luxury that they couldn't afford to let me go do. And so, and I hated it. I hated doing engineering. I hated, I just hated it. So after four years, I was going to get out and um, 9-11 happened. They sent me to combative training. I went and trained with Marines. They gave me cruiser weapons and small boats. And I was hooked after that. And um, <laughs> I joined what it was called at that point, the expeditionary community. And um, it was, I, I loved it. And that just kind of kickstarted my journey and my career. 
Oh man. I mean, I, I'm going to have to turn it over to Jason because Jason's also <laughs> has spent that many years in military service. And I, I'm just sure he's got a lot of thoughts on this. Yeah. Well, you got me by a year. I did 23. So uh, <laughs> you got me by a year. I was an army guy. Don't, don't hold it against me. Um, <laughs> my, my neighbor, Don, he's a, uh, Marine, uh, they don't ever call themselves anything other than they still are a Marine. Um, right. He's 80. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting how when you look at that dynamic, right? Because he was the, one of the former CEOs of Oracle. Um, <clears throat> and how a lot of veterans come out of service after uh, all those years, right? And you could just retire and just chill, really, right. if you want to do, right? You could do that. But there's always that little thing beaten on the back of your head that says you got more to give, right? right. And, and it always resonates across, uh, you know, half of my team at the Strategic Advisor Board, they're all prior military, half the team, Um Kind of like, uh, you know, you guys, this company over there, same, same thing. Right? right. And I always find it just so amazing, the drive and the passion that like former military folks have to take all of that, those years of compiled experience and then dump them into something that is designed to change the world just in a right. different way. Right. Yeah. And you know, I'm not saying other other companies don't do that. That's not what I'm saying. And I'm not saying we're special or anything, but we're special. Uh, <laughs> and but but it's uh, it's just a different kind of drive. And I notice it when I talk to other CEOs. And there's just a little bit of a different drive there when it comes to uh, how things are approached, how things are executed, how things are just done that little bit differently. Um, cause the stats are a lot different. Most, I don't know what they are, but it's a lot higher percentage of, you know, military led companies that make it from mm -hmm. startup. So, um, and you guys are doing the same thing, which is a really cool thing for sure. Yeah. That was my next question is so, so how does your journey cross paths with, uh, with, with Gene and Veronica? So, <laughs> Interesting question. So most of my career I spent in the expeditionary Navy, right? So very austere environments, very operational. And um, at some point after my 13th deployment, um, I wasn't able to deploy anymore. You know, one deployment too many, one injury too many. And, um, you know, so I got a little bit too senior and I got kind of put in staff duty and I was like a bull in a China shop. I just, the way you <laughs> function, you know, in the field is not the way you function in a very sterile corporate like environment. And so I, I just didn't fit in and I had a really hard time adjusting. And at right around that time, I was, when I was diagnosed with PTSD and I was like, what the heck, like I'm, I'm good. Right. And, but I wasn't, and, and, and I had to come to terms with that. And so it was an adjustment and it was interesting that the same thing that kind of jaded my perspective on humanity and just people in general is what drove me to the work that I do now. And so, you know, I'm the director of culture assessments and I do a lot of DEI work. And so um, that career path, I actually started, you know, 
not intentionally, but I started kind of chasing Veronica's career. She was doing, you know, culture assessments in her career path and every command, major command she left, I ended up kind of following in her footsteps. So it was interesting how our kind of career paths went. Um, she ended up at the Navy IG and I ended up at the, um, at a major staff command at a two, at a three-star command at an Admiral staff command, uh, Navy reserve headquarters. And, um, I got there, had some challenges, uh, learned some valuable lessons in diplomacy. And but what the 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 blessing in the sky was that um, all that work that I was doing, I, I also got introduced to strategic innovation. So I was doing a lot of strategic innovation and diversity and inclusion, and I had the opportunity to um, to learn how to operationalize it. Right, because the thing with diversity and inclusion is. You know, you do all these observances and all that's great, but how do you tie it to the mission? You know, and in our world now, how do you tie it to the uh, the the organization's goals, right? Are you either making money, saving money, or tying it to the organization's goals? And so I learned how to really operationalize it by using agile modalities like Scrum, human-centered design. Yeah. And so, so I was able to kind of blend those and marry those without calling them because people get caught up in titles, right? So when you say Scrum, people immediately get intimidated. But when you just start kind of introducing those practices and fragments, it just really marries up and it's a, a really good melding. And so to answer your question, right, long story short, um, I met Gene on LinkedIn and about 18 months out from my retirement, I, I started, I made that pivot. I decided I was going to retire and I was going to make that pivot. And so I really just started getting after it. And I met Gene on LinkedIn. We kind of talked back and forth and one conversation led to another and, you know, it turned into a job interview and she offered me a job and Everything was great. And I told her, hey, the only thing is, is I, you know, not in a position to relocate and I really don't want to. And um, I live about three hours from Fredericksburg up in the D.C. area. I, I live in South Chesapeake, which is closer to North Carolina. And uh, she said, give me a day. And the next day she changed the offer letter and said, OK, you're 100 percent remote. You don't ever have to come to the office. <laughs> I was like, sign me up. Um <laughs> And, um, and so that was, you know, that was, you know, a blessing in itself. And, and it's been great. I've, I've had, you know, so much autonomy and latitude to just kind of spread my wings in, in a way that I never had been able to before. And we've been able to really develop a lot of things. And then shortly thereafter, Veronica came and it was just kind of like, oh, my gosh, you know, it's, you know, she was always, you know, really a great friend and mentor. And, and so we've been able to just collaborate and just really work together and develop a lot of great things. And, um, it's, it's just been really great. I, I couldn't ask for a better team to work with, um, a better company to work with. And it's just been really great because true to the company's motto, you know, we strive to help people work better together. And we do that through, you know, the different things that we offer, you know, and, and lately we've been doing a lot of things about, you know, building foundations to diversity and inclusion. And we do that through psychological safety. And, you know, I was saying earlier, you know, the very thing that kind of jaded my perspective on humanity, just because of, you know, the things that I was exposed to in the military is what drove me to the work that I'm doing now. And I'm just really fascinated and curious about the human condition. And that's what kind of has gotten me to, well, I, I don't want to not like people, right? So I need to understand them better. And so, you know, psychological safety, diversity and inclusion, really getting to know people and what makes them tick has been really fascinating. It's kind of taking me on this journey. Um, and it's just rewarding seeing things when people, the light bulb clicks in, right? Especially for leaders when they're struggling and you kind of just introduce these simple concepts and it's just kind of like, it's so simple, but, but it's hard at the same time, right? Because it's, it's hard to get your head wrapped around the simplicity of it. It's just, how do you go about doing it? And a lot of it is just really meeting people where they're at. 
you know, you can't be one dimensional as a leader. You have to be very adaptive. Um, you have to be very agile. Um, and that's the thing that we try to convey to leaders is, is be adaptable and empower your people. Interesting thing though, because I had a live interview with Forbes and she asked me what makes a good leader. And in my view, what makes a good leader is you can't treat everybody the same, right? And you can't treat Jill the same way you do Bill as you do Bob, as you do Tom, and you can't treat everybody the same. And the silly thing about it all is this should be a very basic human function, right? Um, it's like when people say, well, you should strive to be your authentic self. Is there anything else? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so well, I think there's, yeah. a, there's a you know you have to strike a balance, right? Even yeah. when we talk about psychological safety, right? I want you to be psychologically safe enough to challenge the status quo and tell me you mm. you know we can have a dissenting discussion, right? But as long as we're being professional and, and giving each other dignity and respect, right? Just because you know, we have psychological safety and you're open to disagree doesn't give you carte blanche to say the, well, with all due respect, right? Because obviously that, <laughs> that means nothing good's going to come out of that, right? That's, you know, we, we have to preface it with, hey, we're going to be respectful of one another. But I think it's, it's to your point, it's, it's very much about treating and meeting people where they're at, right? You can't treat everybody equally, right? And then people get hung up on that, right? I want equality. Well, it's about equity because if we're talking about equality, well, not everybody can get a parking spot with their name on it, right? Because if the CEO gets it, does that mean equality means everybody should get it? You know, equality says, well, if the CEO gets a corner office with a window, does that mean everybody, there are not enough corners in the building, right? So it's, what do people need to get their job done, right? So it's about getting people what they need to get their job done. And I think you have to strike that balance. Um, even stuff like, you know, for example, when I was still in the Navy, um, there was this leader very well intended, trying to get people out of there right early and, you know, get out of here on time, trying to give you a half day and, you know, leave early. And there's this one sailor who she was just staying there late and the leader was just like, oh my God, you know, I'm trying to give him a chance and this and that, the other. And he was just really upset. And um, what he didn't realize is that this young lady had her kids in daycare and she wanted to stay there because she was going to school and there was no point in her leaving early because her kids were still in daycare and she would just have to go pick them up early. And now she would have her kids and trying to go to school. So for her, it was better for her to stay at work those extra hours because she can go to school in peace, not bothered, and then go pick up her kids and then go on with her day. That's what filled her cup, not leaving early, right? Yes, the work time is early, but leave me here so I can do my thing. Um, and so he, that leader wasn't able to kind of wrap his head around that. And so he was just wrapped around the axle about it. And so I think it's it's about meeting people where they're at and really getting to know your people to give them within capacity what it is that they need to fill their cup. And when you're able to do that, people will bend over backwards for you. Man, that is so, so powerful. I can't think of, I mean, there's so many times that I've been a part of startups or what have you in the past. I never, I never throw them on a resume or whatever. I don't remember the last time I threw my resume out there, but I've been at companies where they have gone out of their way to be like, what do you really want to accomplish in life? Right. And then as long as we got things done, you know, like they would ask like, well, how's that other thing going? You're an actor. Did you go on right. an audition last week? Or, you know, like they would, whatever it is, they, they right. cared about 
where you were doing so long as you also showed that you cared about where the company was going. They weren't, they weren't lying to themselves and saying, Oh, I know you want to spend the rest of your life at my company, right? Like it's totally, you know, and so I think it's powerful to be able to make an example of that and say like, you have to be able to see where people are in their lives. And if you want them to be committed and invested in what it is, we're talking about workplace culture, right? right? And like, not just, Oh, it's on paper. We have culture and ping pong tables, but like, how much do we really know about the people and they're interacting? And sure, a company that has more than a hundred employees probably can't do it in the same fashion that someone who has less than a hundred employees can. Right. You've got to be able to create that environment for success for people and what they deem as success is what I'm hearing from this entire narrative. Like, Mm -hmm. what does a successful interaction between the place that I work at and the people that I work with? And my own personal life, what does that look like? And right. that is a that is a broader, less talked about conversation when it comes to right. diversity and inclusion. I suppose what most people want, which is like you said, oh, the corner office, and you know, uh, and it's it always turns into like some race thing or a gender right. bias or this or that. It's like there's a, there's a nuance to it, right? Pe- just... People just want quality of life, <laughs> you know, exactly. Exactly. I think I think it's a powerful conversation to have, and I and having spoken to to Jean and Veronica, I also I found their stories incredible, and I'm listening to yours, and I'm like, it's amazing the type of people that get up and start a business, and how they change the world. Could you imagine no Ti verbatim and all the companies that would lose out on that level of perspective and consulting, like. Sometimes I just sit back when I'm listening to these stories, these conversations that Jason and I get to have with amazing people and say to myself, like how we as individuals who are capable of starting businesses, the things we can do for society just by being ourselves and being out there, taking our experiences and, and operationalizing them, like you said, putting them into action blows my mind, man. So if you had a bottom line, what is your bottom line advice for people? Like, look, at the end of the day, this is what I always go to. Mm-hmm. Um, empathy. Empathy and then meeting people where they're at. Um, because w- without that, right, all we're doing is just talking at each other. Um, and, and you really just, I mean, you don't get anywhere. I think where the rubber meets the road is when you're able to empathize and if anything, I'll just try and meet people where they're at. I don't have to agree with you, but I'll try to reach out, right? And reach out to you and and try to understand your perspective. Even if I don't agree with it, if I can try and see it through your lens and try to understand your perspective, at least I have that perspective, right? I can at least empathize and say, okay, I see where you're coming from. Let me see what I can do from my end to try and meet you where you're at. I don't agree with it, but hey, over to you, right? If that's what fills your cup, as long as you're answering the mail, as long as you're getting the job done, as long as you're skinning the cat, I really don't care. Right here, go fill your cup. Um, <laughs> so I would say that, right? Empathy and, and meeting people where they're at. Yeah, I think that's um, that's powerful when you're able to really operationalize it and really lead with that, um, because I think it shows humility, especially from leaders, um, and it shows that you care, right? Because it, it does take that. It's intentional, right? Just like diversity is almost a compliance thing, right? You have, especially in the military, right? You PCS, you move from one duty station to another. So you're going to get diversity just by people coming and going. Inclusion, though, 
you have to be intentional. I have to invite you to, you know, to the table, you know, to get a seat at the table and to have a speaking part. I have to be intentional. I have to reach out and invite you. So, so I think that, that be, being empathetic and, and meeting people with their ad is it's, it requires intention, right? Authenticity, authentic intention. So those things, empathy and, and meeting people where they're at. I actually think that, I mean, this applies in just everyday life, right? I mean, yeah. Not just in business, and this is maybe a far out story to tell, but I have a neighbor and he's, he used to be a, he's a retired uh, construction guy, right? And he only lives up here in the mountains with us part of the year. And he grows weed on the top of the roof of his house. It's legal here. I mean, it's just right there. I can see it right from the road. There's like six huge plants growing up on top of his roof, right? And, you know... I don't agree with it. I don't, it's not my thing. Right. But, but you know, it's his thing. So that's where, again, what you say, you got to kind of meet people where they're at. Right. It doesn't mean I have to partake in it necessarily, Mm -hmm. but you know, and I don't have to like it or think it's a good thing or anything like that. But, Mm -hmm. but I think we just always have to meet people in the middle because people are different. Right. And I mean, I have everything on my street from, I mean, I have the guy that put Hubble in space. He lives two doors down from me. Right. Um, And, you know, we're very different. He's an astronaut and he, he walks up my road and we stop and talk and you'd never know it. Right. But I think that's where as people, we just come together and we do pick and choose who we want to associate ourselves with, right? You don't really get that option necessarily in the business world, (laughs) but away from that, just in life, right? I think there's a lot of room for that same mentality in business in our lives too, if we just embrace it. Yeah, absolutely. You know? So anyway, weird story to probably connect to that, but <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's about finding how can we find, and, and that's one thing that's true, right? Is we have such great conversations with people that we can only hope those who listen to this uh, take the time to ask themselves how they can apply this to a real scenario in their own mm. life, yeah. right? Especially because they are business owners. This conversation and the work that Ti Verbatim does, like it's goes hand in hand like if yeah. your culture is struggling obviously you know you, you you could all you have to do is uh go ahead and hit up saw you know better call saw right <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but this is this is a great opportunity to take a quick uh a quick uh sidestep here and give a huge shout out because this conversation was made possible by somebody and today that somebody is uh scale with social selling with our friend terry and uh Everyone has been in the situation if they're in business where, or they're thinking about it and they're working on it. You look at your calendar and like maybe two of those people, you're like, I'm looking forward to that. But everybody else who I'm in the middle of trying to talk to, they're just, I know they're not the people I want to have conversations with for business. They're not, but I mean, it's a lead, whatever. And anyone who's ever taken on a client, they know wasn't a good fit has found it to be way more expensive than not having a client at all, right? So good news is Terry has figured out a way to help you with that. It's very systematic. It's productized, right? And they did the work for you. Uh, You can actually make it so that your sales calls feel more like 
a call that was supposed to happen as opposed to a call. Well, let's see what happens, right? So go ahead and head over to try.scalewithsocialsellingsystems.com and find out why this prospecting system is exactly what you've been looking for. Uh, again, these are limited slots. So the people that we bring on, they know what they're doing. We wouldn't present them to you otherwise. This is a business podcast. Word will get out pretty quick if these people aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. Uh, so go ahead and uh, book your free scale session with them by telling them that the War Room sent you, the War Room podcast. And uh, uh, they will even give you an extra 20% off if you officially sign on and uh, jump on board with them. With that said, let's get back to the conversation here. Saul, um, we've learned a lot, man, uh, not only about the realities that people face. And I, I think it's awesome that someone that comes from your background, specifically with the things you had to see and face, uh, then stepped into a world where now you step into a ring, but it's like you're fighting for others. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, looking around while the world's fighting back and you're like, yo, Adrian, you know, like, you know, <laughs> where where are you? I'm trying to help you get in the ring with me. Yeah. <laughs> and, and But I think it's awesome, man, because it's very, there's a metaphor there in life and that it's weird how life unfolds, you know, but I'm glad that someone like you with your experience uh, is able to step into the ring and, and uh, of business and really help get cultures where they need to be and operationalize things. Because that's, yeah. like you said, everybody goes around saying, oh yeah, we're diverse and we're, we're right. inclusive. And it's all lip service. Cause then you right. step in and take a look at what their operations look like when they bring you in and you're like, wow, well, you certainly have the right idea. <laughs> Let me help you make that a reality. Right. And man, I, I know a few people who do agile and scrum and the ones that do it right, make miracles happen in business, man, mm-hmm. when you, when you're doing it right. So I think, I think it, it, it before we go on to the, to the uh, grand finale, it's worth asking, what do you want people to know about what you're doing and where do you want them to go? want people to know that, um, you know, true to our company's model, we help people work better together, right? And it's it's about really helping organizations reach their, their objectives while helping them, you know, improve their bottom line in a positive way. And while doing that, optimizing the organizational culture, because that's what's going to help them sustain it. It's easy to make a quick buck, but how do you sustain that and how do you scale it? Well, culture, organizational culture is how you do it. And that's where we come in and what we specialize in by laying those foundations, right, of psychological safety and then scaling that into optimizing organizational culture. And um, and that's what we do at TIBC, TI Verbatim. Okay, right on. Uh, and they can go to like, does it TIverbatum.com? Yeah, that? so if they go to TIverbatum.com, uh, we have a website and, uh, you know, we we do that through our, our pillars, right, of uh, organizational culture optimization, DEI consultancy, uh, training and development and strategic communications. And um, we're there, we're on LinkedIn, we're on uh, Twitter, uh, so they can, you know, Google us and find us and uh, we're available. I'm, I'm on LinkedIn as well. Uh, we've actually been doing some uh, some training series, some free content, some seminars on psychological safety. Uh, we'll be doing another one in November. We just did one a couple of days ago, and we'll be doing another one in November. So awesome! Yeah, man, content is definitely the way. Uh, before we go to the big grand finale, I want to check in with Jason. Let's roll it out. Hey. Let's roll out that grand finale. All right, so so here it is, man. <laughs> if you could have invited anybody to this conversation today, based on the things we touched base on. Who would you have loved to have had here to hear that and why them? I would have loved to have had 
uh, man, one of my closest friends, uh, Mike Richards, he's also a veteran, um, great strategic thinker, awesome leader, really close friend that has been really, you know, in my corner through my dark times. Um, he's a fantastic guy, great, you know, he's retired now. Uh, but he does a lot of things for the community. He does a lot of urban development. He's got a phenomenal real estate portfolio. So he's really knocking it out of the park while trying to empower and enable people to, you know, a lot of people talk about pull yourself up to, you know, from your bootstraps. Some people don't even have boots, right? So he tries to help enable people and empower them to get boots so they can pull themselves up from their bootstraps. Um, and he does that through urban development projects and stuff of that sort in the Pittsburgh area. Uh, so I'd love to have him, you know, I would love to have, you know, have that conversation with them because it kind of plays into some of the things that we do to try and, and help people work better together. Yeah, man. I love that. Big shout out. And uh, I can say firsthand that I, again, I said this, I, I think before we hit record, haven't had a single bad conversation with anyone from TIVC. And for me, man, it just says a lot about a company that, Exposes workplace culture to have awesome people every time you talk to the company. <laughs> you know, that's a good sign. <laughs> yeah. the, the last thing you need is a company that talks about workplace culture and then you have a bad taste in your mouth after talking to them. That's like, right. you know, it's kind of ironic, but hey, it happens. Someone out there, there's there's somewhere out there, there's a company that that does exactly the opposite of what they say yeah. they do. Um, but that's not the case with you guys. And um, I'm glad that I got a chance to meet more and more of the team. Uh, it's tradition around here for Jason to close this out. So I'm gonna let him do that, man. But I want you to know it was, it was really a pleasure meeting you. Likewise. Thanks. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause there's, you know, there's a lot of this that happens in companies, right. You know, like we used to say it briefs well, <laughs> <laughs> it briefs well. Right. But are you really enforcing the standards in as a business owner? or as a director in a company or whatever the case may be, or do you just have the quality control board, right? <laughs> so so the, the policy board, like we had in the military, it had all the policies right. stapled up on it, right? That nobody ever stopped to read. Right. <laughs> so, right. It's not a check in the block, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. And that's you, the key. Is do you walk not, the walk? Not being the check and check the box. Right. So. Anyway, great conversation. Thanks for being here. Um, time is really, really valuable, and we appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you. Yeah, man. Cheers. Thanks. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the War Room Roundtable with your hosts, Jason Miller and Philip Lanos. Please leave your feedback and visit strategicadvisorboard.com to get the latest and greatest business advisement on the planet. Follow us on social media for updates. And always remember, if you can dream it and believe it, then you can go achieve it. We'll see you in the next episode.